This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Blot, one time shot, score! Johnny Gordon buzzes across the blue line. He's in alone. Hold, shoot, score! Sergeyev center point shot, score! lock, score! Kalorn on the rebound. Oh, here's a breakaway. Braden point, point alone, score! Rebound, Kalorn, score! Boot drop, score! 7-1. I love it. I love it. Of course, people who are listening in Boston don't love that. Hey, look, I apologize for you. If you guys are listening in, up in Boston, that was not me. That was Steve Ersnick who produced that. It wasn't Dave Mishkin. He was just on the call. He had a calm as he sees him. And unfortunately for Boston, there were a lot of goals last night. 7-1 to one as Tampa Bay, an impressive win over the Bruins in Game 3. They go up 2-1. Glad you're with us. It is Power Lunch. I am Greg Linelli. Dave Mishkin is, of course, my co-host, and Steve Versnick is our executive producer. We have a lot to talk about, but it's basically just going to be me, Dave, Steve, and you. So make sure you hit us up on Twitter, at Bolts Radio, and we'll talk hockey for an hour. All right, I'm going to say something that's going to make maybe some Lightning fans a little uncomfortable. Certainly, Bruins fans a little uncomfortable, and I think it needs to be said. The Tampa Bay Lightning are the better team. And I know after game one, weren't sure how this was going to play out. I'm talking about the eye test. Look, Dave, for all the people that like analytics and they look at statistics, you know, they may come at me and, and it may paint a different picture. But I trust my eyes. And so far through three games, now obviously that is supported because Tampa Bay is up 2-1 in the series, and I know I'm piling on the day after Tampa Bay had a six-goal win. But I go back to something that Bruce Cassidy said after Game 2 to support my, my take, and that is they're having problems keeping up with Tampa Bay's defensemen joining the rush and being more offensively minded. He openly said that, which means internally they're looking at things and trying to figure it out, and They had some lineup changes in Game 3. I expect more in Game 4. But I think it's pretty clear to me from top to bottom that the Lightning are the better team. I think they're faster. I think they have more depth. And boy, oh boy, I think their back end is giving Boston more fits than they anticipated. You factor in... I think there's a huge discrepancy in nets between Vasi and Halak, and you can see why I came to that conclusion. Even though I fully understand Boston is a very good team who came within one game of the Stanley Cup, Stanley Cup winning the Stanley Cup last year. I'm curious what you make of it, Dave. You might be a little more diplomatic than I am, and that's fine. But for me, through these first three games, it's clear to me The Tampa Bay Lightning are the better team. I don't know if they win this series. And if they don't, pile on. That's fine. But that's what I'm seeing so far, and obviously we'll get into the game. But thoughts after three games, Dave? Well, the Lightning were the better team in Game 3, and they were the better team, although it was much closer. The score was closer in Game 2, and their margin of being better in terms of flow of play was not as wide in Game 2 to Game 3. I thought the Bruins were the better team in game one, and they won that game. So I guess I look at it this way. 
how and why did the Bruins win the President's Trophy and get to 100 points in the regular season with still a handful of games remaining? And I think we broke this down as we headed into the round robin. And when we talked to Judd Surratt, their fine radio play-by-play broadcaster on the Boston side, he, he basically talked about this. The Bruins' recipe for success is as follows. They have that dynamite top line that does the bulk of the heavy lifting offensively. Not all of the heavy lifting, but most of the heavy lifting offensively for them. They have an incredibly structured team defense in front of their goalie. And remember, they led the NHL in fewest goals allowed per game this year. And they have good goaltending. Now, usually it's Tuka Rask, but Halak has had a good year too playing in front of this really structured team or the the structured team is in front of him and he has reaped the benefits of that, certainly, but he's also played quite well. Then you factor in they're excellent on special teams. Their power play is, is terrific and they were third in the league on penalty kill. So they get enough offense because their top line is phenomenal And they have other guys who chip in. And they really hold the other team down defensively. Now, in this playoff year, you're pulling Rask out because he left. So now it's only Halak. And I don't know that we have a definitive answer on this, but Halak at 35 did play both ends of the back-to-back. I think we had mentioned prior to the back-to-back occurring, Greg, that Halak had appeared twice in back-to-back games during the regular season, but in neither case did he start both games. One, Rask was pulled about halfway through the game, and then the other, Rask got hurt early in the game, in the second game. Halak had played the first game. So a 35-year-old goalie playing both ends of a back-to-back, did that have you know, any kind of an impact on him and, and on the Bruins? I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm up in the air on that. It's clear that when the game got away from the Bruins, I mean, it was basically lights out once the Lightning pulled away halfway through the second period, and the Bruins didn't have much pushback after that. But I guess I would look at your premise this way. If the Bruins are going to beat the Lightning, they're going to need their top line to continue to be excellent. And the top line has been really good, maybe with the exception of of after the, the early part of the game yesterday. And they did score in the power play, the Bruins, yesterday. And they need to really tighten things up defensively, which is kind of the trademark of their team. But, you know, the Lightning scored three power play goals yesterday. Fine. Maybe they were due. They made some adjustments. We can talk about that. But look at the five-on-five goals the Lightning have scored in the series, in particular in games two and three. They've scored off the rush. They've scored on breakaways. The Bogosian play to Coleman in game two where he basically beats two of their defensemen with a move. Coleman's breakaway in game two, breakaway. Braden Point scores on a breakaway. Yanni Gord gets help from the linesman, but he scores on a breakaway. Gord gets a breakaway in the third or in the second period, shoots it wide. Kalorn puts in the rebound. The final goal, and I know it's lights out at that point probably, but it's a two-on-one for Point and Kucherov. Like, that is not Boston Bruins hockey if you're on the Bruins side. So I guess I would say if the Bruins are going to come back in this series and they are capable of coming back in this series, they definitely need to be a lot more like the regular season team that was so structured 
and didn't give up these glorious chances like they're giving up to the Lightning. Now, on the Lightning side, I don't disagree that in terms of depth at the forward position, top to bottom, most people would agree the Lightning have more depth than the Bruins. But that doesn't necessarily mean, and you said this, doesn't mean the Lightning are going to win the series. That may be an advantage for the Lightning, but can they use that to their advantage? (laughs) Can they neutralize the Bergeron line enough so that their depth can push them forward and obviously limit the secondary scoring for the Bruins as well? So that's kind of how I look at it. Certainly the series is far from over. I mean, it's it's only 2-1. We've learned that what happens in one game doesn't necessarily have a carryover effect. Often when a team is blown out in a playoff series in one game, they come back and play much better in the next game, which is what I would expect to see from the Bruins tomorrow night. So I guess I just look at it differently than you, but certainly the Lightning have played quite well in these last two games yeah. and are definitely deserving to be up in the series at this point, 2-1. And I know they they have accumulated, acquired a lot of depth over the last year or two. I'm talking about the Bruins to give that first line some help. And we've talked about that first line looking really dangerous. I actually thought Patrice Bergeron seemed a little off yesterday. Maybe that was the product of back-to-back games. Pasternak uh, and Marchand certainly were dangerous, as you and, and Phil pointed out. I still think they're top-heavy. And while Krejci is very solid... And Coyle is somebody that can come in and, and provide a lift offensively. I still think there is a big separation between Tampa Bay's forwards collectively and Boston's. And now you factor in what we're seeing from the back end from Tampa Bay. Again, I go back to two comments we've talked about before on the show. I think it's the most talented back end in Lightning history. I think that's playing out right now. And I'm going back to Bruce Cassidy's comments after game two. He did not anticipate or They are having a really tough time almost matching up, Dave, with the Lightning's back end, either joining the rush or providing that offense from the back end. It's almost like he was stunned by what he's seeing. You've got Hedman, you've got Sergachev, and you've got Shattenkirk. You've got guys now who can rip it back there. And you factor in what we're seeing from Yanni Gord, Blake Coleman, Goodrow, in addition to some other guys who obviously put up numbers consistently, I think Boston's looking at this collectively and saying, all right, you know what? We got we to gotta make some lineup changes in game three. Let's see if that works. Oh, you know what? That didn't work. Let's maybe try and do some things in game four to see if that works. Like, I don't know what they do. That's I'm looking at this, and as far as I can tell, they're still top-heavy with that Bergeron line, but if they're not getting that, This is going to be a tough series for them to win, and I'm more convinced of that after three games. Now, again, Lightning take three three penalties, Dave, on Friday, and Boston gets two of them with that first power play unit, and the Lightning, you know, get out of of sync a bit. Yeah, I I mean, it could be 2-2. And if it would be 2-2, would we be surprised? Probably not. But I am really starting to believe that the difference between these two teams might be a little greater than at least I anticipated. I'm not going to put words in your mouth. And if that first line of Boston isn't scoring, I think I still think there are more questions when it comes to Boston's depth than any questions you may have regarding Tampa Bay's team. Like I think there's more of a concern there than pick one concern you have with the Lightning because it was the power play coming into Game 3. Well, that looked pretty good. 
And, you know, maybe some people had some questions about the Sorelli line. All right, but you still have the Gord line that can pick up some slack if, if the Sorelli line's not producing as much as you'd like. I think the Lightning have more answers, Dave, to some problems that people may perceive they have than Boston does. And I think as a result, we're here at two games to one. Well, I'll circle back to, to the point I made minutes ago, yeah. which is the way that Boston can level that is to play better defensively. Yes. And are they capable of doing it? They are. They did it through the regular season. I guess what's a little surprising to me about Cassidy's comments about the Lightning activating their D is this is nothing new. I mean, these teams know each other really well, and the Lightning have always liked to activate their defense. And I know it was a couple of years ago, but because we re-aired the the lightning wins from that 2018 series against the Bruins during the pause. <laughs> and I wrote a column about the series and I had Todd Richards on with me to do an interview talking about the series. I remember this play really well. The lightning win game four in that 2018 series in overtime. And who scores the winning goal? Dan Girardi. Where is he? He's like at the top of the crease. And what I had not remembered until I went back and rewatched the goal in preparation for the conversation with Todd Richards was Ryan McDonough, like 10 seconds before Girardi pinches, he also pinches. Now, this is not off the rush. This is uh, the puck is in the Boston end and the Bruins are trying to execute a clear. But, you know, McDonough pinches way down the wall to disrupt a clear, which he does. And Kalorn comes back and covers the point for him. But what you see on that goal, both Lightning defensemen, within a span of about 15 to 20 seconds, are deep in the offensive zone. That is that is the way the Lightning want to play. So is it that the defensemen are having more success in this series that's concerning Cassidy? Like, it can't be a strategic surprise. I kind of go back to execution. It, it's probably... Maybe surprising for him that the Bruins are having trouble handling this when they've done a better job in other games, even games the Lightning might have won. Maybe they've done a better job of of not blowing assignments. And, you know, the Bogosian play again, where he slices through the, the two defenders, Krug and Carlo, you know, if you're on the Boston side, one of those guys needs to make a play there. Like, put the body on Bogosian. Separate him from the puck. That's execution. And the Bruins right now are not executing without the puck. How are these lightning forwards finding space right up the gut for these breakaway chances? And we've seen it repeatedly in the last two games in the series. So I understand what you're saying about what you're seeing in terms of, of some of the disparity. But some of the disparity maybe unrelated to personnel, or if there is disparity where we're talking about different types of players and the lineups are constructed differently, the way these teams play when they're playing their game, when a team says, we need to get back to our game, I think that that can, that can even the playing field, and it comes down to which team is playing its game better. And I think it's clear in games two and three, the Lightning are playing their game better than the Bruins. Now it's it's the Bruins' turn to have a response. They're down in the series. Let's see how they respond on Friday. And the Lightning, I think, have to be ready 
and the players and John Cooper talked about this post game. They have to be ready for a game that is nowhere close to what we saw for much of last night, where it was Garbaggio time and and both teams were kind of just right. going going through the motions of of yeah. making making play. I think the Bruins were running out the clock in the third period, and the Lightning were fine sure. to do that as well. That is not going to be the case when we start zero zero for game no four tomorrow night. We're all anticipating a better effort. The question I have, though, at this point, is it enough for the Boston Bruins? We'll talk more about that at Bolts Radio. Also, Yanni Gord, the man's been possessed. We'll talk about him and his line when we return. Also, to 11-7. How do you sit Shen and Coburn? It may be easy. It might be a hard decision. But you know one thing? I think John Cooper's probably going to go back to that lineup again on Friday. Maybe he doesn't, but I'd be surprised um, if he chooses not to. But we'll talk more about that with Dave when we return. Get those questions in. It is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. Dave, do you think I made some Lightning fans or Bruin fans uncomfortable with my comments in that first segment about how I just think Tampa Bay is the, the better team? Do you think Lightning fans are cringing here, or do, or do we? <laughs> do, you, do you think they support it? Well, we if we ask. do have any Bruins fans who are listening, and I don't know what they're doing on the <laughs> Power Play listening, I don't even know what they're doing out there. I don't know that they're uncomfortable. They're probably pretty mad at you, is what well, I would think. Hey, Dave, get Lightning fans, Lightning fans may feel a little uncomfortable that you would you would make such a bold statement, bold. but you are entitled to your opinion. Yes. Well, that's why we have this show. <laughs> and Dave, that wouldn't be the first time somebody was mad at me. And I am giving my props to the team that did win the president's trophy this year. Yes. And acknowledging that they are not playing as well as they can or they have. Yes. During the regular season which means that they can play better, but I don't know if they will play better. Well, I do not have a crystal ball, as I like to say. Yeah. The Bruins may play a perfect game sure. tomorrow, and they may not. That's well, that's why sports is great. It's unpredictable. Yeah. You know, We don't know what we're going to get each time a new one starts, yeah. a new game starts. And that's, I think, to answer your question on that, look, time will tell. I think the reason why the Bruins aren't playing well is because Tampa Bay is not letting them. Right. right. <laughs> and I you think, never play a game in a vacuum. You yeah, are and I think this is kind of where we're headed. And look, we'll find out a lot about Friday. I thought whoever won game two was going to be in really good shape. And look, give credit to the Lightning. You go down 0-1 the way they did, and that game in game two goes into overtime. You go down 0-2, it's, that's a tough hill to climb. And now the Lightning have reversed those trends. I think they started to find some confidence in the power play. Let's start there, Dave. I was on with Brian Engblom the last call. You and Phil talked about this. And he had mentioned you know, that little adjustment of moving Kucherov to the left side as opposed to where he was on the right did wonders. And he said it just gives him a little bit more rain to make some plays. We know Kuch likes to set up players. And boy, on that Sergachev bomb, if people go back and watch that play, you could see Kucherov patiently going down the left wall waiting for the Bruins players, Dave, to commit to him. And just when they started to make their way over, he flips it over to Sergachev perfectly for that bomb from the point. So give credit where credit's due. When we start talking about coaching, this all plays a role in the Lightning getting to where they are right now. Moving Kucherov on the power play 
giving them some different looks. And then, of course, Pilat able to get a goal to get things going, got some help from Chara. It seemed like that really got them going. So when Stamkos is in the lineup and they have their top power play the way they normally align it, whether it's Hedman or Sergachev as the one defenseman at the point, I mean, normally it's Hedman, but Sergachev could be there too as he has been throughout the playoffs. Kucherov and Stamkos are both on their offsides. In other words, Kucherov is a lefty, but he's at the right circle. Stamkos is a righty, and his office, as we know, is at the left circle. The advantage there is that both guys can take one-timers easily off a pass because their stick blade is more in the middle of the ice as opposed to their stick blade pointing toward the boards where if you're going to take a one-timer, the the puck basically has to go past your body (laughs) before it reaches your stick. It's harder to do unless you position yourself in, in a certain way and the pass is coming not from the point or cross ice. And that setup has served the Lightning very well. But without Stamkos, and they've tried other guys at that left circle, whether it was point, now he's more in the slot, which is where he would typically play when they do have Stamkos. They've tried Johnson there, a righty. And then they move Palat there, so Palat is a lefty. So he's on what they call your strong side. In other words, you know, you're a lefty on the left side of the ice. But they still had Kucherov set up for that one-timer. And the defenseman can also take a one-timer. But if it's a lefty defenseman, it's easier for the lefty to take the one-timer if the pass is coming from the left circle. In other words, not from Kucherov's side. And so, you know, the power play had some okay moments in the earlier games in the playoffs. But frankly, it was mostly the second unit, which has a, a completely different look to it, two defensemen. And, and it's just constructed differently. And they did a more consistent job of getting pucks to the net. The other part, too, that we talked about, the Lightning didn't get a lot of reps on the power play because they weren't drawing as many penalties as maybe they would like. So they made this switch in the second period of Game 2, and they just basically flip-flopped Kucherov and Palat. So now Palat is at the right circle, which means he's open for one-timers because his stick blade as a lefty is more toward the middle of the ice. And he tried a bunch of one-timers in that power play in game two in the second period, and he missed the net like three or four times or got deflected. He couldn't get it on net. But the Lightning had good zone time. They applied pressure. They weren't consistently chasing pucks down the ice. And the Bruins, I think it, it caught the Bruins a little off guard, and it's funny in this day and age, like so much coaching is done off video and teams are so well prepared you know you make a little switch like that and maybe it's not a little switch because it 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 has a ripple effect on what the penalty kill is accustomed to seeing and now they have to make an adjustment and I thought the Bruins had a little trouble dealing with that in game two in terms of how effective they had been against the other makeup of that first power play But the Lightning didn't score, but they liked the fact that they had the puck in the offensive zone. And afterward, John Cooper said that power play, even though it didn't score, did give us momentum. So that was the Lightning's final power play chance in game two. So game three starts and they get a power play right off the bat and they keep that same setup. But now the Bruins have had a chance, even though it was a back-to-back, to scout it a little bit. So they really got up on Sergachev on that first power play chance the Lightning had last night, and he had three shot attempts blocked, if you recall, 
Lindholm and Nordstrom were up high and they they blocked his shot. It didn't get through. But then you get to the second power play chance the Lightning had, and Palat does score off a one-timer. So that is an option the Lightning had there, whether it's Kucherov or Palat, and they get a one-timer off, it hits Char's stick and goes in. So now, you know, a lot of power play success is, is tied to confidence. Are you feeling it? So they get a goal, and it would be the first of three in a row they would score. They would score power play goals on three consecutive chances. But it was really in the second and third opportunities that led to goals, so their third and fourth chances overall, where you could see what Kucherov can do when he's on his strong side. So some power plays around the league like having the guys at the circles on their strong sides. Winnipeg does this with great effect, where line A is on his line A is the guy who's a righty like Stamkos at the left circle. But it's usually Blake Wheeler on the other side, and he's a righty on his strong side. And if you talk to Jeff Halpern, who runs the power play for the Lightning, he's like, that's a downhill power play. That's what he calls it, downhill. In other words, when you're on your strong side, you can carry it and protect it because your stick blade is against the boards. It's harder for the other team, the penalty kill team, to take the puck away from you. If you're going to stick handle when you're on your offside, you kind of have to angle your body a little way. I mean, we've seen Kucherov do it, but he's almost got to put the puck almost on his backhand. He's got to turn a lot to get it back to the point, or he's got to open himself up where the puck might get stolen to to maneuver it cross ice or, or get it back to the point. Frankly, it's a little easier to make plays when you're on your strong side and moving. The Islanders scored a goal against the Flyers on the power play yesterday, where Barzell, who is a righty on the right side, goes downhill. If you remember that goal, Greg, he skates kind of from the top of the circle to the bottom of the circle. The Flyers cannot get the puck away from him because he has it protected, and he makes a play in front, and and Anders Lee deflects it in. So a power play with guys on their strong side at the circles can be effective too. And Kucherov loves to pass. So... When he is on his strong side and he's moving, which is what Brian talked about because I heard him on with you last night in the last call, Kucherov had a lot more movement being on the left side than he typically does on the right side because he can. He can you know, he can go from the point down to the bottom of the circle. And on the Sergachev goal, the penalty killers have to be aware of Kucherov making a play down low when he takes the puck to the bottom of the circle. That allowed Sergachev to find space in the middle of the ice, kind of in the high slot. We saw this a lot from Jonathan Druin. Remember the year that Jonathan Druin was so effective for the lighting on the power play, the 16-17 season, with Hedman and Kucherov, because Stamkos was out that year. And Druin played a strong side and was really effective at kind of starting a play in motion because he had such great vision, still does, and could pass the puck so well. So now you got Kucherov in that role. The Bruins are going to have to make an adjustment. I heard Cassidy after the game. He said, we do need to, to make an adjustment on our penalty kill with Kucherov on that side. But it's interesting. All these years, Kucherov has been open for the one-timer. And, and he and Stamkos are both weapons, right? <laughs> to shoot. And that keeps the penalty kill unit, if not frozen, a little bit more tentative. Because they don't want either guy to shoot the puck. Well, you take Stamkos out, and you've talked about this, Greg. What does that mean for the Lightning's power play? Well, now they made an adjustment 
They don't have, I mean, Pilat at the right circle can shoot and he scored, but it's not Stamkos' shot. And, you know, it's not Kucherov's shot. He's got a great one-timer. But they have somebody there who can shoot the puck. And now you've got Kucherov in a position where he can move up and down the wall and maybe create some other opportunities. And on the Kalorn goal, Kucherov doesn't go back to the point. He drags it down the wall. He goes downhill. He goes across to Pilat. There's a puck to the net, and Kalorn puts in the rebound. So it is a different look. And particularly after the Lightning scored on their second opportunity, which was just more conventional, like it went around the horn and Pilat shot it in, they were really able to use that new setup, I think, quite effectively to, to find some openings for guys to get pucks to the net. But we'll see if it continues because the Bruins are going to game plan now for this, certainly yeah. for game four. And I, I just think, again, we kind of go back to this point. There are so many options now with this Lightning team. And I think what was frustrating, John Cooper talked about this. I think it was yesterday after the game. He said, look, for whatever reason, we just don't get a lot of power play opportunities. And you could tell he, he didn't want to go further, but he, he mentioned. They did how, last night, though. Yeah. Well, how, and how frustrating that can be for his team. But when you take a look at all the options that they do have, even with Stamkos being out, and I do think that is a big loss. I mean, I, I, I continue to reiterate. Maybe it's because he's been out for so long at this point. That's not a bigger, that should be a bigger story is what the Tampa Bay Lightning are doing and maybe what they hadn't done up to that point on the power play because their captain had been out of the lineup. I mean, you're talking about a guy who, as you know, Dave, I'm, I'm repeating this, but it's a 40-goal score. I think a future Hall of Famer, um, still someone in the prime of his career. You take him out of the lineup, it's not like you're taking Mitchell Stevens out of the lineup. That's a big a big boy who's not there. And then I think for them, for Boston, Tuka Rask not being in the lineup, that's a big deal. And I, I think those are two things that haven't gotten enough publicity. I think for the Lightning, and the reason Stamkos hasn't been talked about enough is because I think a lot of people look at their depth and say, well, you know, I think they can overcome Stamkos to a degree. And that might be, that might be true. Although I think not having Stamkos in the lineup is a, big deal in the long run but the lighting just have so many more options and I think that's what stood out when it came to their power play when it started to click and it was great to see Sergachev Dave unleash that bomb because I think he's been kind of up and down a little bit in these playoffs but especially with McDonough out it's nice to have Coburn and Shen give you that stability on the back end, but I think Sergachev is a guy that one of the reasons why I've made the comment this is the most talented decor in the history of the Tampa Bay Lightning is because Sergachev took amazing steps this year in becoming a guy who is a legitimate force on both ends of the ice. And I think up until maybe yesterday, it had been a little up and down for him, and that's fine. Uh, you don't need him to be great every game. We talk about depth. Part of having that depth is you don't need to be great every single night for a specific player. But I thought it was really good for him to get that that goal because I think he is a guy that, while he wants to be physical and be better defensively, I think he still looks at himself as somebody who can put up points from the back end. And you see that puck go through the net. That's going to give you a tremendous amount of confidence. And to see that happen last night, I think speaks well for his game moving forward. Now, time will tell what happens on Friday, but I thought that was very encouraging. And I do want to hit home... Again, the play of Coburn and Shen. You know, McDonough comes back. Who sits? What do they do? John Cooper has some decisions to make. But I, I 
along with Bogosian, Dave, I'm not sure we could have envisioned how well those three have played in this type of environment for an extended period of time against that type of opponent. It's been a pleasant surprise, but it's also major props to those players for getting themselves in this position to be successful. There were a few things about yesterday's game and how it unfolded that I think worked to the Lightning's advantage. Not that they didn't deserve what they got. They did. But we were wondering about the matchups with, you know, would Cassidy try and get Bergeron's line out against a defenseman other than Victor Hedman, right? And I remember early in the game, when I saw Bergeron's line out there, usually Hedman was out there with Chernak. So maybe Cassidy wasn't so concerned about it. But Bergeron's line... So Pasternak, I thought he was the Bruins' best player yesterday. Uh, he was he was going the whole game, even in the third period. I mean, he had some some dangerous moves. And Marchand wasn't far behind him. Marchand scored a goal. I agree with you. Bergeron did not look quite as dangerous as he normally does. He also didn't play nearly as much as he usually does. And part of that might have been score effects in the third period. Bergeron didn't play as much. In fact, he only finished with 13 minutes and 44 seconds. A lot of that was due to not playing a lot in the third, kind of like the Lightning did with Hedman, who only had a couple of shifts in the third period when the game was out of reach. But in the early part of the game, and and frankly, I thought the game was, was fairly even until the Lightning got the lead. But think about this. The Lightning went three out of four on the power play in their first four chances. Those four power play opportunities came in the first 30 minutes of the game. So not only did they build a big lead in the first half of the game, they also got a lot of power play chances in the first half of the game. I think we mentioned on the air, the Lightning's previous high for power play opportunities in a game since the restart had been four, and that was in the five overtime game, game one against Columbus, because they got two in regulation, and then they got two more in those multiple overtimes. Well, they had four in less than half a game yesterday. And their power play scored on the second of those, and then they got into the rhythm that they were in, and we talked about that. But from the Bruins' standpoint, like the matchups kind of went out the window at that point. First of all, you're killing a lot of penalties. You're getting scored on. Now you're down. And so I think it allowed the Lightning to manage the, the second half of that game well, which they did. But the Bruins were never in a position where if they wanted to take advantage of a particular matchup, I mean, the, the, the score didn't lend itself to that. In the second half of the game, it was out of reach. And in the first half of the game, they were on the penalty kill a lot, and they were falling behind. So, uh, again, I guess I'll keep my eye out for the matchups in game four. But because the Lightning had a big lead, they could manage their minutes, particularly in the third period when Hedman hardly played smartly right you might as well rest your big right. horse with a with a five and then a six goal lead in the third period but whatever was asked to your overall point whatever was asked of Braden Coburn and Luke Shen who are the two guys who came in after not having played in an actual game since March they did they got pucks out they kept pucks in they made clean plays out of their own end even under four checking pressure and what can you say about Bogosian? I mean, he has a highlight reel play in game two in terms of the offensive zone. 
to set up Blake Coleman on what was a huge goal for the Lightning because they were down one nothing at that point. But how about the defensive play he made on Wagner in game three where Wagner has a good couple of steps on him when he gets the puck. And Bogosian not only catches him, he makes the play, a clean play, to just move his stick up a little bit, Matt Wagner's stick up a little bit, and then swat the puck away without actually touching Wagner's body. That is a heck of a play. So to me, Bogosian has had two highlight reel plays, one in the offensive zone and one in the defensive zone. The Bogosian is interesting because, I mean, look, the Lightning look genius in bringing this guy in, Dave. I mean, in addition to Kevin Shattenkirk, you want to talk about value. You think about those two pickups and what the Lightning had to do to get them. Not much. And look at the production they're getting. This is what you have to do in a salary cap era. I mean, I don't think anybody anticipated Bogosian being this good, but there, I think there are a couple of factors in play. I think Brian had mentioned this because I asked him the question. I said, is it just a matter of him being healthy that we're seeing this type of production? And he said, look, he's like this before, but yes, he's healthy. Brian would have seen him in Winnipeg, too. And that's, and that's what, he was, what he was getting at. But also, too, you know, he's, he's not, he doesn't have to be the man here, Dave. I, I do think one of the reasons we see high end draft picks in any sport fizzle out it's not only that maybe talent wise they aren't what the scouts projected them to be i think also too some guys just aren't comfortable being the man and i know that sounds weird when you start talking about professional athletes because i always maintain the reason why they get here not only do they have great physical ability dave but they're also different mentally. You face a lot of hurdles. You, you do things that other people can't do. And a lot of that is pushing yourself mentally. And that's why I think a lot of these guys become the elite of the elite is because what they have between the ears. It's very strong. But I do think once you get to a certain level, if you're a top five pick, if you're a top 10 pick, if you're a first round pick, and there are great expectations, I do think sometimes guys don't feel totally comfortable with that. I'm not saying that that's the case with Bogosian. It could be. But I think in addition to him finally being healthy, Dave, I think there is a some merit to, look, you don't have to be Victor Hedman on this team. Now, you may play with him, but we're not asking you to be the best defenseman. In fact, Zach, you're not the best defenseman on this team. In fact, you might be the third or fourth, maybe the sixth. You're going to be in our top six. You're going to play 15 to 18 minutes. We still want you to do the things that you can do, which is join the rush when you can. Have that big shot from the point. And you know what? Defend your teammates when called upon. You do that, Bogo, you're going to be just fine. And if you want to go end-to-end and look like Bobby Orr every once in a while, (laughs) (laughs) then so be it. But I do think part of this, with Bogosian specifically, I, I, Dave, I even think with Shattenkirk, it makes sense. You're kind of down the previous year. I think a motivated athlete is a dangerous athlete in a positive way. And you've got two guys who were put into situations over the last year that probably hurt them a bit and wanted to prove 
others that they were wrong in their evaluation, and the Lightning just happened to take a chance on them at the right time. And boy, are they getting some tremendous production. But I do think, Dave, there is something to be said that, you know, for Shattenkirk and Pagosian specifically, who are in the top six right now, we're not asking you to be all-stars. We're asking you to be really good defensemen in our system. And the fact that they're motivated based off of kind of some struggles they've experienced recently, that's almost like getting lightning in a bottle, no pun intended, but if you want to say so, that's fine. That uh, the lightning, I think, really have done a great job of identifying those type of players and give the lightning, give, give those players credit, Dave, for having something really left in the tank. And I think it's really paying huge dividends. But uh, I, to me, I think that's really sticking out right now in this series, amongst other things as well. Coop mentioned this in one of the many press conferences that he's done over Zoom that I've watched, where he said, and and certainly this applies to Shattenkirk, this applies to Bogosian, and it applies to the Lightning players who were on last year's team that lost in the first round in four straight, that they had a chip on their shoulder this year coming back and were extremely motivated to show more. And I think that's part of it. The other aspects of the Bogosian career trajectory that I think are, are notable and significant, he has, throughout his career, played on teams that struggled. And even if you're an extremely talented player, it can be hard to be a difference maker when your team is not very good. In fact, that's a challenge a lot of times for the scouts when they're scouting amateur teams and they see a player who's on a bad team. So that player's stats, I'm talking about junior hockey here or even college hockey, that player's stats might not be great, but you can watch the player and you can see that in a different situation, that player would be doing much better statistically, right? And, you know, you look at the teams that Bogosian was on. He was drafted by Atlanta, third overall in the 08 draft, two behind Stamkos. But Atlanta made the playoffs once, and that was the year before he was drafted, and they got swept in four straight. After a couple of years in Atlanta, they moved to Winnipeg, and Winnipeg is now a high-quality team and a team that is regularly making the playoffs, and a team that did reach the Western Conference Final a couple of years ago. But when Bogosian was there, they were still struggling and missing the playoffs. And then he gets traded to Buffalo, and the Sabres have struggled, which is why he had never played in a playoff game before this year. So that's part of it. It, it can be hard to set a successful trajectory when the team that you're on is not good or not good enough anyway. And then their part, injuries. I mean, he's had a lot of injuries in his career that have affected his ability to perform at the level that he is performing at right now. And he said it. We've repeated it. He does feel completely recovered from, you know, he had a hip procedure done that – even though he was recovered, his skating was not yet back 100%. We saw the same thing with Braden Point, who 
you know, Braden Point at 80% or whatever, not feeling completely recovered, is still a tremendous skater. And now he is at 100% after the pause, talking about Point. And, you know, we've seen his speed on display at an even higher level since the season restarted. But Bogosian is in the same boat from the standpoint that he feels healthy. So now his brain is telling him, let's do this. And his body's saying, okay, <laughs> let's do it. Whereas before, and I think he mentioned this, you know, your brain is saying, okay, let's do this. And the body is saying, well, hold on a second here. Give me a cup of coffee first. You know, the body is not responding the way his his brain is is telling the body to respond. And that comes with not being completely healthy, and, and in particular, his skating. And, you know, if his skating was not where it needed to be or back at 100% in his mind, I'm not sure he would have been able to catch Wagner on that breakaway yesterday. And he showed incredible bursts, talking about Bogosian, to make up the gap that was there when Wagner first got the puck, catch him, and then make the play to dislodge the puck. It's a great point. You want to react to anything we had to say, you can. At Greg Lanelli, at Bolts Radio, or at Dave Mishkin. We'll take a break. We'll close things up. When we return, what do you expect? for Friday's game against the Bruins when Tampa Bay's up 2-1. I'd made the comments, maybe against Columbus, that Braden Point has been Tampa Bay's best player, and maybe is their best player. But I'm wondering, has that been the case this series? Not to say that Braden Point hasn't played well, but have a couple of other guys really maybe exceeded some expectations? We talked about a couple of them on the back end, We'll focus on some of the forwards who are having some impactful moments in this series as well. Back after this on Lightning Power Play. The perfect social distancing distraction for your lunch hour. This is Power Lunch, only on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. We focus so much on the back end, and rightfully so. I think it's been eye-opening for a lot of people that maybe don't follow this team on a regular basis when they see guys like Shattenkirk and Sergachev and then Bogosian playing the way he's playing. In addition to who already has been there, I think for some it's it's eye-opening. Hey, you know, they're used to Tampa Bay really being great with their forwards up front and, you know, maybe Victor Hedman making some splash plays, as Mike Tomlin would say in football. But I do think that's been the difference. But in addition, Dave, it is also sticking out the depth at the forward position. And we're starting to see Blake Coleman fill the net. And while I think Cooper said this, it was either yesterday or the day before, you know, they didn't bring Coleman in or Goodrow in to score goals. But you know what? For Coleman, he's a former 20-goal scorer. You were expecting a little bit more offense, and we're seeing that. And I think for him, it is so true. Once he got that first one, you were going to see more uh, from there. And I also think the same was with Yanni Gord. We kind of saw this in the regular season where he went so long. Was it 30-plus games without scoring? And then he finally did. Was it against Pittsburgh, I actually think, in an overtime game? Yeah. Getting one. And then I think he was able to to kind of uh, score a few more goals after. That's certainly not the year he was anticipating. And he said, look, he took the, the pause as a good thing to reset mentally more than anything. And Dave, I think you can make a case, while maybe he's not been their best offensive player, you know, it doesn't really happen that much when you're talking about third and fourth lines. I think in terms of effort and what you're expecting from Yanni Gord, he might be their most consistent, at least in these in this round, against the Boston Bruins. 
Yanni Gord has had a phenomenal playoff so far, and that line has garnered, deservedly so, a lot of attention nationally because of the impact that they are having in games and in series. But we've said this about Yanni a few times over this playoff year so far, that he never seems to run out of energy, whether it's the opening shift of the game or deep into you know game one against Columbus in the fourth and fifth overtime. And so if you're the Lightning and you take a 6-1 lead into the third and you know that, I mean, unless something crazy happens, you can afford to to not play some of your top guys. And Victor Hedman only had two shifts in the third period. And one of those came when the Lightning got a power play and they sent out the second unit. Hedman's on that unit now to start the power play. And the other came, I think, in the opening shift of the third period. And then the rest of the period, he didn't play. So Hedy only finished with 18 minutes and three seconds of ice time, but he was up around 16 minutes after two periods. And then Point Kucherov did not play a lot in the third period. They did team up to score. I mean, they had more regular shifts, but you you look at their ice time, Kucherov was just under 16 minutes. That's below his average in a regulation game. Point was at 15-14, also below his average. So who's going to fill the ice time? (laughs) <laughs> Yanni Gord, because I think Coop understands that he can put Yanni Gord out there and it's not going to really, ma- it's not going to affect him <laughs> because it seems like he never runs out of energy. And Gord was getting double shifted at times playing with Maroon and Paquette, which was the line with two forwards. And they had different guys with them. Sometimes it was Gord, sometimes it was Coleman, sometimes it was Kalorn, I think was out there. I think Palat might have had a shift with them. But who led the Lightning in ice time yesterday? Yanni Gord, 21 minutes and three seconds. The Lightning did dress 7D, so they spread out the minutes, but not one Lightning defenseman played over 20 minutes, in large part because Hedman basically was given the third period off. But that tells you everything you need to know about where Yanni Gord is at in terms of the impact that he can have, just in terms of the energy that he brings to the ice. Mm-hmm. Every time he steps out there, yeah, their line maybe isn't playing with the puck in the offensive zone every time, but they're doing it more often than not. I think Eric Erlinson put out like the the Corsi metrics, like that line is off the charts dominating, so they're taking a lot more shot attempts when they're on the ice than than the other team is having against them when they're on the ice. But even when they have to play defense, you know, he he's so tenacious and he's so good at being hungry on pucks that that line is not spending a lot of time in yeah. the defensive zone. And, and that goes, I think, to, to the energy that he is bringing. I know that's a hard thing to quantify, but I think that that's a big part of why that line has been so effective that at least to this point, Yanni Gord looks like he he just never runs out of energy and and is never a step behind and is getting rewarded for it, both in terms of the the point production from that line and and how well they are playing. Yeah, and it's, look, you know, the reality is Yanni Gord and Blake Coleman are former 20-goal scorers in this league, and they are on third and fourth lines, and maybe they're not getting the looks they want consistently, but this is where they are, Dave. And I think there is a little bit of an expectation for them to produce. And now we're seeing it. And again, I think this is just to wrap that portion of this show up. That's 
what makes this Lightning team so tough to deal with. You know, Boston is struggling to find that secondary scoring. I'm not sure they have multiple Blake Coleman's or Yanni Gord's, you know, or even a Pat Maroon um, on a third or fourth line that can chip in or, or are expected to chip in the way we've seen. And I think that is really something that stood out. Uh, in closing, Dave, uh, what do you anticipate tomorrow uh, for game four for both teams? Because I think we all agree Boston's going to come out hungrier. I think you're going to see them try and really be physical to start. And I think the Lightning are aware of that. The question is, how will they handle it? And, you know, for Boston, even if they play the way they want to, the way Tampa Bay is rolling, will it be good enough? And I think that's something I'm going to be watching for tomorrow. Well, I agree with you. I think the Bruins are going to come out and be determined to tie up the series. And I think the Lightning should expect Boston's best game in the series, understanding the Bruins started game one extremely well. I mean, we we dissected how the Lightning weren't good in the first period of game one, but the Bruins were also really good in the first period of game one in terms of their execution, how crisply they moved the puck, and how many chances they had. I mean, I know Coyle scored late in the first, but the Lightning were under siege in that first period. I would expect that sort of game, if you're the Lightning, from your opponent, but the Bruins are going to try and make it last beyond the first 25 minutes, which is what we saw in game one. And I think the 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 Bruins are going to put a lot of weight on the Bergeron line. I mean, that is the line that drives the bus for their team. And they've been really good in the series, but more is going to be asked of them. Even more is going to be asked of them in game four, in my opinion. And yeah, if the Bruins can get secondary scoring, either from one of the other forward lines or a defenseman chips in, they're certainly going to be looking to do that too. I think the challenge for the Lightning, and this was something that both Alex Kalorn and John Cooper talked about post-game, is to forget about game three. It's over. Yeah. <laughs> the The chapter is done. That book is closed. It's time to move on to a new game that is going to be 0-0 at the start. It's going to have a completely different feel. And there's not much that you can take from game three and carry it into game four. Because game four, unless it's another blowout, is not going to look like game three. And blowouts are very rare in the playoffs. Now, the one caveat, and that's probably the wrong word, but the one, the one carryover effect that I can see from game three, which hopefully happens for the Lightning, is... To the extent they gain some confidence on their power play and special teams can go up and down based on kind of a team's swagger and how they feel about the power play, that can bleed over. That can be carried into the next game. You can see the Bruins power play, like they're feeling it. They are they are super dangerous on the power play and they have a good power play, but you know, they've scored a power play goal in every game of the series. They've been one for three in every game of the series. And the two late ones they had yesterday, they didn't even have their main unit out there. So with their main unit, they are three for seven <laughs> on the power play. So that has carried over for them. And the Lightning, I think, are going to need to do clearly a better job when the Bruins get a power play, but also 
And this was something they did pretty well yesterday, Greg, which Phil and I touched on at the end of the broadcast. Forget about the two late ones because the game was over at that point. They only gave the Bruins one power play opportunity. Now, the Bruins scored on it, but they did a good job of staying out of the box, and I think that will be a key. But on the Lightning side, if they can if they can build on the confidence gain from their special teams play on the power play in game three and use it in game four, that can be a benefit that carries over. But that's it, in my opinion, from, from game three. New game, new day, chance to go up 3-1 in the series, start fresh and prepare for the best game your opponent has had so far. Well, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have all the coverage for you starting at, let's see, 6.30. We've got the pregame skate show. That'll be with Kaylee Chelios and Brian Burns on News Radio WFLA. We've got the pregame at 7. Of course, the game call at 7.30. We've got the, uh, the last call after the game. And, of course, you're going to hear Power Lunch tomorrow as well starting at noon. So, Dave, we've got everybody covered. It's tremendous. Love it. A lot of fun. Nothing yeah. like playoff hockey. Rest those pipes, my friend. I Rest will. Rest those pipes. All right. That you is too. Dave Michigan. Thank you, sir. Thanks to Steve Ersnick. Thanks to you for listening. We always appreciate it. Hit us up on Twitter if you'd like, at Bolts Radio, at Greg Linelli, or at Dave Michigan. We'll talk tomorrow right here on Lightning Power Play.